Hello and welcome to Here Now, a Whitechapel Gallery podcast that delves into the stories behind the exhibitions on view at the gallery, here in the heart of East London. Each episode invites a curator to be in conversation with artists, collaborators and other thinkers about the works and themes explored in the displays, giving you special access to the ideas that shape the artworks. My name is Renee Ojija, curator of the youth programmes, introducing you to today's episode featuring members of the Whitechapel Gallery's youth collective, Duchamp and Sons. Over the course of lockdown, Duchamp and Sons developed a new exhibition titled Home, Live in Room. Considering the impact of the pandemic on experiences of art, culture and the home through artworks selected from the Hiscox collection. Here, they consider the key questions raised by the exhibition, asking, what role might art play when our freedom is interrupted? How do we imagine a space where we have spent so much time over the past months? Can confinement trigger new creative processes and networks of solidarity? Alongside this are readings by Duchamp and Sons on their poetic responses to the selected artworks. The exhibition is free to view in galleries five and six, and is on display from 25th August 2020 to 3rd January 2021. So who are Duchamp and Sons? Duchamp and Sons is Whitechapel Gallery's youth collective made up of 15 to 23-year-olds from across London. They meet regularly to explore art, curate exhibitions, music and performance events alongside artists and other creative practitioners. We have 10 members taking part in this project. For this project, the collective met online over a two-month period, working in groups and individually to discuss and select artworks from the Hiscox collection. A series of talks and workshops with Whitechapel Gallery staff and other creative professionals enabled them to gain an understanding of the curatorial process. Through writing sessions, they deconstructed the notion of home and its significance to them. Here, Sarah, Sonam and Ellen introduce the exhibition and discuss some of the artworks selected. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, Ellen. Hi, I'm Sonam. So guys, let's talk about the exhibition. What do you first see when you walk in? So the exhibition is divided into two spaces. Um, one is a light pink room which sort of responds to the imagined or unconscious notion of home and the other room is a dark grey um, and speaks to ideas of confinement and sort of the starker realities of home and throughout both spaces there is an audio recording that we made of our creative responses to the theme of home and in response to the artworks um, can be heard. Can we talk about some of the works and the exhibition and um, why we chose them. I think one of the first pieces that stood out to me was the Barbara Caston's uh, series of images. The sort of there were three very vibrant, geometrically structured uh, photographs of these, uh, yeah, just geometric shapes and triangles and swirls. And uh, while we were choosing the selection of images, uh, my group spoke about how it sort of represents the internal struggle in the mind about self-reflection and time in the home during this period of lockdown and we thought that was quite a strong concept to go with and was in keeping with the sort of pink conceptual space for that room. 
Okay, so if we're talking about the kind of like projected world in the pink room, um, I want to speak about the Peter Doig Canoe Island. Um, that was one of like the pieces that really spoke to me throughout the whole of the Hiscott collection. Um, and with that one, you see this sort of pink and yellow sunset set above this kind of this dark mass of water. And then in the centre, there's this large pink canoe with this kind of shadowy man in the centre. Um, I suppose what I really liked about it was that it's almost quite magical. It has this kind of, I don't know, like suspended kind of reality sort of feel. Because um, there's this kind of figure and he's isolated away from the kind of island in the background. There's this kind of moonlight on the water, but there's no moon. So there's a real kind of disconnect from the earth. But at the same time, it feels attached. Um, and for me, in terms of thinking about it with home, it represents how when we might be stuck in a place that we might not want to be or just home in general, maybe amongst like kind of chaos and tension, we kind of create our own alternate realities. I was also very taken by this image, but I think what I think resonated with me was I saw this figure in this canoe with this island in the background as a, um, a like venturing forth and bringing with it questions of what home might mean to me or to anyone when they move from place to place and like is this island in the background a previous home or is this where this man in this canoe is going to um, and whether we shape our home in our mind when we sort of go forward and when we move from place to place do we have an already conceived idea of a home or is it sort of this is what comes about later on and sort of all these sort of questions of I guess belonging and place um, is what it sort of brought up for me. That's interesting though that yours is when you see it you think more about the kind of inward feelings things about kind of where you might be grounded or where you belong. Mm. And for me, it's more about kind of this like outward projection of kind of imagining where you could be or where you want to be. Sort of similar, the same strain, yeah. but... I guess that's that pink room is very much what we're trying to sort of exactly. convey is this imagined, like whether it be you're confined within a space and you imagine this idea of potentials or you are either within a space or not within a space and then sort of having these imagined ideas. Like that's sort of, I think, what we were trying to create with that room specifically. Everything that's unconsciously happening when you're yeah. trying to conceive of what home means to you within your certain uh, living situation. Um, yeah, and speaking on that, I also think um, the Trevor Pagolin, uh, the shape of clouds image, that, that's the first image you see when you arrive into the gallery. Um, that, that to me was really striking because of the, initially for the vibrant blues and the just amazing shapes and details within the image. And then as you step closer, you see the geometric patterns that are laid on top of the clouds as well. Um, and I was, I was just reading, Paglum was saying that he was applying industrial scale AI software that would generate shapes over the images. And um, he was speaking about how the, the, the software basically freaks out when you apply it to shape, to, up to images that aren't um, very straightforward. So you get these incredible 
details all over the images. And I, I thought that was really interesting in the way that it sort of um, could, be, could be seen also as the sort of frequencies or the radio waves that are, that are spreading across the world uh, and how we sort of use all this software within our home and how does it get to the next person's house? It travels through the clouds, through the sky. And that was like a very interesting analogy for that sort of concept. We're going to move on to the dark room now. Um, the dark ray, which is more about the idea of like home, confinement, reality. Um, I want to start with uh, Lisa Oppenheim's calendar piece. So with that one, it displays these small fragments of a, um, from a negative of a smoking bomb site. And it's organised into this sort of multi-tile panel. Um, and when you look at the piece, it's organised and chaotic at the same time. And for me, it represents what it feels like to make sense of a chaotic environment, the kind of world around you. Because it is made up of these kind of little bombsite sort of squares, it does remind you of this kind of wider, violent past. And I think Lisa Oppenheim has spoken about this before. Um, it's kind of like a timeline of war and peace for Britain. Um, and the context is really important when you acknowledge that. But I also think it's evocative of the individual struggles, the kind of madness that happens in our life, um, especially when you call something like that calendar. It makes you think about how you kind of have to pick things in your life, put them down, kind of organise them yourself and make sense of it all. Um, and again, t talking more about the kind of individual aspect, I think when you first look up at the piece, you're kind of directed to look upwards, as if you're kind of looking at a sky. It's almost peaceful, but then when you kind of look closer, you can kind of see those kind of little violent images. They're quite contained. It's kind of like what I call it, a confused sense of peace. Um, and I think in comparison to the other pieces in that room, um, it does look quite abstract. It kind of sits in between the two rooms, I would say. Um, the Crudson, the Billingham are like photographs if you look at them, they're quite literal in terms of thinking about home. But with Oppenheim, it is technically, well, it is a photographic piece because it's taken from negatives. Um, yeah, and I think it just sits really nicely in that space. Yeah, and it, it sits next to Cornelia Parker's Lodestone Elegy for an English Country Graveyard. And I think those two both work well as an in-between, which they're the first you see when you walk from the pink room into the dark grey room. Um, and Cornelia Parker's work is a um, rectangular blue lyre stone with the poem This Be the Verse by Philip Larkin engraved into it. So it's, and it's very much about like a, um, a quite negative or harsh take on ideas of family and what you inherit from your parents. And so I think it works quite well with that work in sort of the lead in between this imagined space into this more hyper-realistic image of home. And I think it worked quite well in this space of, I guess, to challenge the viewer and whether they agree with this um, and to, I guess, promote your own self-introspection. Like, is this how you feel about your family? And is this how you take things from your own parents like are you quite neg like I don't want to would would looking at this work make you think I don't want to do what my parents have done um which I think fits in quite well with this idea of confinement and introspection within a confined space um which is why I think it fitted quite well with this within this darker room
I think um, that leads really well into the sort of opposite corner of the room, which, as you already said, is a lot more literal. You have the Richard Billingham and the Gregory Crudson pieces that are uh, far more like, well, they they define they define their concept of home in a much more obvious way. Um, the Gregory Crudson work is is one of my favorite pieces in the show. I think instantly you notice the the technical ability of of Crudson and the style of the image, um, where you have this twilight scene. You have staged people throughout the throughout this this uh, print, which is about three meters wide, three meters or so. So within that, you see so many small narratives, so many micro stories, um, which instantly to me was reminiscent of sort of walking through my communities and what my home and and the 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 twilight period where you see one window on, with the light on and you see one thing going on and instantly i i was drawing parallels between the work and and my feelings of that space um i think the uh the lighting and his ability to create a sort of film set like stage is also amazing the the fact that he he micro lights every the single space every building is it creates this very uh it's very like a twilight zone you know like a like a space that is is like almost like a memory like a dream but still very literal it's such a beautiful piece mm. but it's it definitely sort of it fits with in with the rest of the room in it sort of the the darkness even though there's incredibly bright colors and extreme detail it's very yeah as you say like it is like an episode of like a sort of a gloomy tv set or something mm. like that but it's so beautifully done that it's so striking here we have three members of duchamp and sons samara ellen and inyaki discussing the theme of home explored in the project and exhibition so guys uh why why home the concept of home was particularly pertinent at the time because we were in a moment in the UK where we were in lockdown. And so we were confined in a place that could be considered home for some. Um, and yet home is a, a much broader question, much more foundational question. Few concepts speak of a personal as much as home. And with our large and very diverse group, it presented also an opportunity to explore that. Yeah, definitely. And with the especially the tasks that we sort of did throughout um, the build-up to uh, actually selecting the works. Um, we were sort of encouraged to write about home and I really felt that with the sort of the freedom we had in those activities, uh, things about home that I personally hadn't really thought about but sort of were there um, in my mind sort of were revealed and it was very interesting when like we discussed all these things together how different our concepts of home were whether they were sort of a feeling or a physical place on and these were like not only because we were such a diverse group in terms of our own backgrounds and sort of living situations but like age as well and whether people had moved away from the parental home or whether they'd moved country like the concept of home was so diverse that it was I think it was very interesting to see that this sort of universal concept of what home might be actually it can't be considered this sort of one singular thing mm -hmm. I think that was especially sort of 
as you both said, like being forced to stay within our sort of living situations, we all had to sort of not necessarily come to terms with it, but at least address what that might mean to us. I think collectively it was on sort of everyone's mind. Yeah. Um, not just, you know, confined to within our group, but in the wider world, it was these, um, it were these, there were these times where you're sort of forced to um, really, I suppose, take stock of your um, connections and your intimate um, connections to your surroundings. Yeah. Um, and that I think in in that way, the concept of home was, it was very much in sort of on everyone's mind. I can give like a, a personal example, which is I asked my grandmother who lives in Uruguay, like, uh, where do you consider home? Because she is from Argentina. And the first thing she replied was, do you mean casa or hogar? Do you mean like house or home? And I think one of the initial things that the exhibition does in deconstructing the concept of home is we remove it from just the concept of home being a house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think by starting off our sessions with a lot of writing um, and sort of free writing, um, we really delved into the unconscious parts of our brain and explored where home lies in those in those parts and um, considered how the reality of home was compared to our like you said like this conceptual idea of home mm-hmm. or this emotional belonging of home um, and those led to a lot of um, that kind of thinking led to a lot of interesting conversations and uh, eventually our uh, those processes were kind of streamlined and so on to uh, uh, finalize our choices what becomes of home when we journey forth beyond the place we once held close onwards to another which we know not yet in this liminal space we may hang unable to mark in our minds the shape of home the cliche of the journey into the unknown made all the more real in its intangibility truth be told I don't like this photo. It's too real, too exposed. Life is like this, but wish it was unlike this. Trapped in reality, there is no control. Thick tar absorbed in the wallpaper, drenched in mucus, like my uncle's room. Memories of the family I try to remember, but the settings I often try to forget. We were all at home when we began imagining foreign places. They came to us like remnants of a near past, still hanging in the trees like rubbish after a storm. We were their territory, and they had come so far to find us, to tell us that our home was not like their home, but to make their home they needed each brick from ours and from our children's homes. They took and took until there was no earth to be found. First, we became an island, and then we drowned. Home will begin again when I am newly displaced, when I have to make sense of my surroundings and move from one way of living to another. Only that way will I know if I left a home or began a new one.
just speaking more on that unconsciousness and exploring those thoughts around um, the way that you hold home within you uh, in contrast to or um, rather existing alongside the physical lived reality of home, um, we started to think about the that duality and the way that um, confinement also leads to imagination. Um, it leads to a, a further investigation, sort of a, a mapping of... Um, of your your surrounding, taking like I said earlier, taking stock of your, um, I suppose, live reality, your emotional stage, and uh, so on. And I guess we sort of look towards ideas of mapping um, in the way in which sort of one brings an idea of home with you, and it's not this real space but a kind of imagined space that um has sort of infinite potential um to belong anywhere and I think that was quite an interesting idea that we thought worked quite well with as you say with this idea of the confinement as an opposition to it I suppose there was like a paradox, you were confined at once in a room, but that didn't mean you would be mentally and Im imaginatively confined, as in you could escape those confines of the room uh, through your mind. And then we had this less, let's say, imaginative, more like authentically real um, understanding of home in, in one of the rooms. Yeah. And those those are, you know, within... Keeping those ideas in mind, we um, there are a lot of artworks that, um, lucky for us in the exhibition, there's lots of artworks that correspond to those ideas. I think artists' um, work, they realise or they, they scratch at that unconsciousness. Um, and I think that's very well reflected within the exhibition and within the two rooms of our exhibition. We now have Asia, Akram, Josh and Maya giving insight into their curatorial process leading to the exhibition. I'm Akram. I'm Josh. I'm Asia. I'm Maya. Uh, how did writing help us to develop the concept of home? Yeah, I think uh, in terms of the creative writing sessions, they really built, like, built a fundamental you know, core to the End in White exhibition. Normally, as young artists, I guess you could say we would look at the paintings and uh, and the, uh, you know all the mediums, the artworks, and we would normally see, oh, that's a big name, or that kind of um, visually appeals to me. But through the creative writing sessions, I think we found more depth and meaning to other artworks, and we started reflecting more on the concepts of each piece, which I think that we started building our collection mainly because of the creating rank sessions and what home meant to each of us as individuals and our different stages of life that we're in right now. Um, I think also having to write about home helped me process my own feelings about it and sort of I didn't have a definition of home before we wrote about it um, but then when you were forced to it kind of made me I guess articulate what I thought. Fauzia who was the script writer working with us she would give us like small prompt at the beginning of every session, single words like mapping, isolation, escape, displacement. And I found they really helped because I was able to 
kind of think specifically about certain words and how they related to home and look at home within loads of different, from lots of different perspectives. And I think um, reading our writing out loud was also a really unique experience because it was never something I really thought about, but you, we really were like, you had to kind of practice how you're going to say your, your writing, how you're going to, where you're going to pause, the things you're going to exaggerate and like proper, you know, bring attention to in your writing. Um, but I think it really helped just to bring it, bring everything to life. I think words sound so much more, they just sound different when it's spoken and you can kind of hear all the meaning behind it. Let's talk about our experience working with the Whitechapel Gallery staff and obviously the other practitioners. Um, I found it really interesting comparing Gary Hume's curation process to ours and how his was like different um, and sort of the factors that he considered versus what we did. And I think you can really tell sort of through our exhibition that we were thinking about home and sort of like the restrictions and stuff and, you know, sort of like seeing the difference was really interesting. And we, we met Gary over the Zoom call and hearing him talk about it was a unique experience. Um, I found it interesting working with Sophia, the head of education in the gallery. Um, she was she would ask us loads of questions about how the specific things we'd want in the gallery, in our exhibition, things that I'd never kind of paid attention to, like the lighting, the sound, the seating. Um, and it just, I don't know, it kind of gave me a new kind of respect for people who do this on the daily because it's such they pay such attention to detail. Um, and I just found that process, all the decisions we made, um, I just found it really exciting. And then coming into the gallery and seeing everything, all the small things that we'd done were there was really powerful. Yeah, it, it boosted my confidence working with uh, people like Sophia, like uh, Chris Spear from the Zabludovich collection, uh, because he did a virtual hang with us of our exhibition and he allowed us to direct him. So it gave our, uh, it gave our, all of our ideas a, a validity, like they were just as important as if uh, a professional curator had done them. One of the first things we did was we thought we had to move the uh, Richard Billingham uh, pieces and w we hadn't completely decided where they'd be, but we had to put them on, uh, we, we tried to put one on, on, a, on a wall, which didn't, quite work because the, the work was too big and then there was one we also had an issue with the Peter Doig which uh, again the, the 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 walls weren't as big as they looked in, on the screen so uh, we worked with the with uh, Richard the gallery manager and uh, Sophia to come up with a way of hanging them that that felt that felt right in the space rather than um which was different from how, how we'd initially conceived it yeah so we learned uh, as a group i think about the the challenges of of, of working initially from online which we'd learned when we during an earlier talk on zoom we'd learned about how uh, curators sometimes do have to work in this way where they they discuss the the artworks where they're going to go in the show if the curators are working from another country uh, and they're, in, they're curating an exhibition 
in a different country, then they, they sometimes have to work in the same way that we were working. So we learned about that the, the, these are not necessarily new challenges, but for us, they were obviously completely new. And Yeah, I think as young artists, um, particularly looking for, you know, possible jobs and, like, just not sure where we are because in, like, the education system, like, the, the basic one, you could say, you know, we're not really told about the art field and, like, what opportunities are available. So when you speak to these practitioners, you kind of ask them, did you start in art or, you know, where did you come from? A lot of them didn't actually start from an art background, you know, and I think that's really interesting. And there's just, you know, even, like, during the process of making this, um, curating this exhibition, we kind of realised how many components there are, which also means that there's multiple jobs available you know, to us, which I think you just don't get to hear about a lot. And I think that was really encouraging. And it just shows that, you know, you no matter what position you are, you can somehow get involved. And I think that's just, yeah, that was really like inspiring, not just to me, but I'm sure many people and hopefully people outside that get to understand, you know, like what roles are available. And also I think in terms of the validity that Josh was talking about, like our voices really were heard. You know, at the beginning, it's like, it's such a great opportunity to like curate with Whitechapel, but almost sounds too good to be true. Like, yeah, there's no way that, you know, we actually will have our voices heard. We actually literally end up having our voices heard in the exhibition. But, you know, like there were actual people waiting on us for our opinion to be like heard because they had to base their role um, depending on our decision in the end. You know, they had to wait for the the colour of the walls, which we chose like a really nice shade of pink, which was quite, you know, it was quite a scary decision. You don't often see pink in a gallery, but I think it was perfect. And, you know, like decisions like that really showed how important our voices were. And I think this was a great opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Here Now. You can find all of our other episodes online at www.whitechapelgallery.org. Don't forget to visit the exhibition Home Live in Room on display from 25th August 2020 to 3rd January 2021. Bye for now.